Welcome to the weekly podcast at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church. My name is Doc Hollingsworth. I'm senior pastor of this great congregation, and we're delighted that you've joined us. Our prayer for you is that as you listen to this message, you might feel closer to God and closer to God's hope for you. Our scripture this morning is Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 14, also on page 51 in your pew Bible. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall mark for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell the whole congregation of Israel that on the tenth of this month they are to take a lamb for each family, a lamb for each household. If a household is too small for a whole lamb, it shall join its closest neighbor in obtaining one. The lamb shall be divided in proportion to the number of people who eat of it. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a year old male. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it until the 14th day of this month. Then the whole assembled congregation of Israel shall slaughter it at twilight. They shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the lamb that same night. They shall eat it roasted over the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted over the fire with its head, legs, and inner organs. You shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. This is how you shall eat it, your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it hurriedly. It is the Passover of the Lord. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike down every firstborn in the land of Egypt, both human beings and animals. On all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. When I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague shall destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be a remembrance for you. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. Throughout your generations, you shall observe it as a perpetual ordinance. Good morning. I'm thankful to have this opportunity to preach this this morning. Um, This place is already feeling like home, and I'm thankful for each one of you and the welcome I have received so far. Have you ever started a movie, gotten yourself real comfortable, popcorn popped on the couch, only to find yourself drifting off to sleep only a few minutes in? And then you wake up, who knows how long later, and you have no idea what's going on on the screen in front of you. Let me give you an example. You're watching The Sound of Music, one of my favorites. The movie begins with Maria, singing on a beautiful Austrian mountaintop. But then, as the rather lengthy opening credits begin to roll, you find your eyes drifting and you, you fall asleep peacefully. And then, when you wake up two hours later, and the movie's toward the end, you're wondering, how in the world did this Maria from that beautiful mountain end up um, hiding with random children from Nazis in a dark graveyard? How did we get here? If the book of Exodus were a movie, and there are a couple ones out there, 
then today's passage would certainly be one of its most dramatic and intense moments, although nowhere near the end, as today is only part four of ten of our Exodus journey. However, to wake up to this passage this morning with Moses having just arrived back in Egypt last week, I can't imagine these instructions for Passover would make much sense. It's time to do some catching up. By the way, my favorite adaptation of the Exodus story is the 1998 DreamWorks animation classic, The Prince of Egypt. And it tells you what I'm about to tell y'all by way of an epic, thunderous song with intense visuals. But I'll just stick with talking today. So here's what happened. When we last left Moses, God has reminded him of all God has done for the Hebrew people in the past and promises that their covenant will lead to the emancipation of the Israelites from Egypt and that God will deliver them to the land promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Since we learned that God does not break promises, one can only assume that in the six chapters separating last week and today, God had done some serious work to get the Israelites well on their way toward the promised land. And yet, we find Moses today still in Egypt, giving instructions for an event intended to be the final crushing blow of Pharaoh and the Egyptians. What we have missed in between are some of Exodus's more memorable moments, those being the turning of the wooden staff into a snake and the nine, soon to be ten, plagues upon Egypt. The end of chapter 6 reveals one more protestation of Moses to God, this time Moses arguing that he cannot speak to Pharaoh for God on account of being a poor speaker. It's a good reason. Enter Aaron, Moses' older brother, who God recruits as, to act as something of a prophet for Moses when he's talking to Pharaoh. The first instance of this comes when Aaron performs a wonder at Pharaoh's request by throwing his wooden staff to the ground and it becomes a snake. The Egyptian sorcerers in Pharaoh's court are able to do the same, but Aaron's snake does eat them up. God hardens Pharaoh's heart, though, causing him to be unmoved by the miraculous act and leads to the ensuing plagues upon the people and the land. The first plague was turning the Nile River to a river of blood, followed by swarms of frogs, gnats, and fleas. Following this was the disease and death of all the Egyptian livestock, then boils of the skin, then a severe hailstorm, locusts, and three days of complete and total darkness. All of these plagues only affected the Egyptians, while the Israelites continued their daily lives unscathed. Each of these plagues lead to Pharaoh budging a little bit more on his position of the Israelites' freedom, but each time the Lord hardens Pharaoh's heart and the Israelites remain enslaved. In chapter 11, directly preceding today's passage, Moses warns of God's final plague, the killing of every firstborn son in the land of Egypt. Pharaoh, of course, does not heed this warning, which brings us to today's passage. This text features the instructions of God to the Israelites regarding the observance of the Passover. There are a lot of specifics regarding the timing and practice of this meal in the text, including the day of the event, the aging addition of the animal, and the cooking, eating, and cleanup procedure. However, the most important detail in these instructions are, understandably, about the Passover itself. God instructs the Israelites to put the blood of the lamb used for the meal on the doorframe of their homes, 
thus signaling God to pass over and to leave that place alone. Any house without the blood on its doorframe would experience the loss of the firstborn son that night. And for the record, I'm the firstborn son of my family, so this is some pretty scary stuff. Okay, that was a lot of history, but I think we're all caught up now. It's easy to get lost in this story. Maybe we remember reading these stories about all the plagues and the Passover and Bible study as a, as a child, or maybe this is the first time we've heard about any of this. Either way, this story can feel far away and impersonal if you focus too much on the specifics of the time and place rather than the way these people were feeling. Here's the part that I want to take away today. The Israelites and Egyptians experienced deep despair. I don't have to ask any of y'all to know that everyone in this room has experienced despair in one way or another. You may be experiencing it right now. We have all experienced times of grief, loss, illness, pain, and death. Our world is full of these moments and situations with each day adding to its total. One of the parts of this passage that sticks out to me is toward the beginning in verses 3 and 4, which read, Tell the whole congregation of Israel that on the tenth of this month they are to take a lamb for each family, a lamb for each household. If a household is too small for a whole lamb, it shall join its closest neighbor in obtaining one. The lamb shall be divided in proportion to the number of people who eat it. Last summer, my father was diagnosed with cancer. He is a middle school science teacher back home in North Carolina. And because he had to start his treatments in the fall, he was unable to be in the classroom as often. Without my dad or any of my family knowing, our next door neighbor went to his school and asked his students to draw or write a message on a quilt square that would give my dad some words of encouragement. Soon, using those squares, our neighbor had made a quilt that was big enough for my dad, who was as tall as I am and maybe a little bit bigger, to warm, with, to warm him with words of encouragement and love as he sat through chemotherapy. During a time of despair, my dad's community gathered around him to literally cover him in support. Our neighbor could have made a quilt for my dad by herself, and that would have been a kind and generous gesture. But the reason the quilt is so meaningful is because it physically embodies the community gathered together around my dad. The students' messages and pictures range from silly and lighthearted, with one patch saying, punch cancer in the face, to more serious and heartfelt ones, such as, the Lord will stand with you and make you strong. Seeing my dad read all the messages for the first time when the quilt was delivered this past Thanksgiving brought tears to all of our eyes and a smile to each of our faces. The verses I read a moment ago include the line, if a household is too small for a whole lamb, it shall join its closest neighbor in obtaining one. God's instructions for Passover literally include sharing with our neighbors and community as part of the ritual of God's deliverance. Knowing that others are with you in times of hardship is hope in itself. The same way the lamb's blood on the Israelite doorframes symbolizes God's promise, the quilt covering my father symbolizes the promise of a community of hope. It represents the community 
and our capacity to join in one another's healing. The Passover represents God leaving the Israelites alone and passing them over. But through the symbol of the lamb's blood and the meal they share together, they are able to remember that God is with them the whole time. While it can feel like God is not with us in times of despair, God gives us symbols of hope in our communities to show God's everlasting promise. What are the symbols in your life to show how God's community holds you and helps you in times of despair? Maybe it's your Sunday school class sending you a card when you're going through a difficult time. Or a letter from a loved one you keep framed on your bedside table. Maybe it's a birthday gift you receive each year from the woman at church who babysat you, or the dishes your great-grandparents passed along to you through the generations. Maybe it's a jacket that used to belong to your grandfather that makes you think of him each time you put it on, or a blanket your aunt knit for you when you were young. Whatever they are, we're all surrounded by symbols in our lives that connect us to our communities. And oftentimes, these symbols transcend generations. Through the Passover meal, people of the Jewish faith each year connect with a community that transcends time and space as they commemorate God's deliverance of the Israelites from slavery. Passover reveals to us the profound nature of simply sharing a meal together with the belief that God's covenant will lead to, to the collective deliverance of the community. Over the past year or so, I've taken up a new hobby, cooking. Most nights out of the, out of the week, I'll head over to my fiance Milligan's apartment, often with a couple of bags of groceries, ready to cook us some supper. It started with simple dishes like potato sausage and kale skillets or veggie quesadillas, but it's becoming something of a passion now. As I seek to prepare dishes honoring my New, my New Orleans heritage, I was born there, such as seafood gumbo, red beans and rice, okra etouffee, I'm getting hungry talking about that, I find myself enjoying each step of the process, getting lost in the sights and the smells. I play music while I prepare the recipe, and I love adding the spices and plating the dish nicely. It feels like a work of art when I'm done with it, and I've come to enjoy sharing my creation with others. In fact, my favorite part of cooking isn't the cooking part, but what happens afterwards when we share the meal together at the table with friends and family. Seeing those faces, the people that I love, eating the food that I've prepared for them is life-giving to me. And no matter how stressful a day the people at the table have had, the simple act of being there together with one another breathes new life into the day. Passover reveals to us the profound nature of simply sharing a meal together with the belief that God's covenant will lead to the collective deliverance of the community. Jesus Christ, our ultimate symbol of hope, was himself a Jew and certainly observed the Passover meal with his community every year of his life, including with his friends on the night he was betrayed. In the Gospel of Mark, we learn that Jesus and his disciples gather together to partake in the Passover meal. Although some aspects of the Passover Seder tradition have changed in the few thousands of years since its founding, both up to Jesus and since then, the heart of the meal has remained the same. The community gathers together, commemorating God's miraculous deliverance of the Israelites through the sharing of a meal. 
telling stories, and singing. Jesus shares the meal we know as the Last Supper and commemorates the next instance of God's deliverance of God's people. Similar to the way the preparation of the meal in Exodus takes center stage, Jesus' Last Supper features Jesus using parts of the meal to symbolize God's covenant. Jesus takes the bread and he breaks it and he shares it with his disciples, telling them that it is his body. He then shares the cup with them, saying it is the blood of God's covenant poured out for many. The Passover meal of Moses and the Israelites and of Jesus and the disciples both acknowledge God's covenant and foreshadow death. The difference, however, is in who dies. The Exodus Passover narrative is the culmination of an extremely painful and deadly period in Egypt for Israelites and Egyptians alike. Starting with the enslavement of the Hebrews, then the killing of the Hebrew firstborn sons, then Moses' murder of the Egyptian man, and later the plagues upon Egypt, the night of the Passover calls for even more blood and death. The narrative is especially powerful because of God's great role reversal, leading the Israelites out of pain and death into eventual life in the promised land of the covenant. Jesus' Last Supper is another example of God turning the situation upside down, as a feast commemorating the day God left us alone becomes the day God promised we would never be alone through the Lord's Supper. This is an incredible shift in the narrative. Jesus simultaneously honors the tradition of his people and reveals the existence of another way. Instead of God being in charge of who lives and dies, as in the Exodus text, Jesus, the human embodiment of God, is the only one who dies, thus securing the everlasting gift of life for all humanity. May our tables be inclusive enough to honor the Passover and the Last Supper, as both meals are key parts of our faith tradition. Let us not be afraid to pull up a chair for our Jewish siblings of the faith with whom we share so much of our faith tradition. And let us have the courage to include folks at this table who have been excluded from the rest of the world as we seek to embody the radically inclusive love of Jesus. As our pastor comes forward and we gather around God's table once more, let us remember the covenant which Jesus embodied for all of humanity the night he shared in the Passover meal with his community. Jesus' promise to be with us always is renewed each time we gather around this table. Let's pray. God, on this day of rejoicing, as we gather to break this bread, we remember that through the blood of the Lamb you redeemed us and made us pass over from death into new life. Grant that, as we celebrate your mighty deeds, we may be one with Jesus in offering you the sacrifice of praise. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you live in the Atlanta area or visiting Atlanta, come and worship with us in person on Sundays at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church.